Welcome to the She Recovers podcast. I'm Taryn Strong, co-founder with my mother Dawn Nickel of She Recovers. She Recovers believes that we are all recovering from something. And here on She Recovers podcast, we examine the healing power of connection and intentional living, as well as what happens in our lives when we put down our past stories and pick up our soul's true purpose. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of our She Recovers podcast. And if you haven't found it yet, make sure that you also check out the accompanying She Recovers story. You can find it on our social networks and soon it'll also be on our YouTube page and our website. But this particular conversation took place on the west coast of Canada, where I live. Um, on a little island where I don't live, but that is close to the island I live on called Denman Island with an amazing farmer, herbalist, nutritionist, and metalsmith, silversmith, Magdalene Jolly. Magdalene is all of those things I just said, and she's a very inspiring woman who lives on a farm with her family, a farm that provides a lot of abundance for their community to be able to live off the land as well. And Magdalene's also healing and recovering from Lyme disease, burnout, and chronic fatigue. So in this conversation, you're going to learn a lot as Magdalene shares about her journey of healing, her journey of finding balance, and her different patchworks and healing modalities that she's used along the way. Magdalene, can you please let the listeners know where we are right now and tell them a little bit about who you are? Here we are sitting in the main, what's known as the main orchard at Tree Eater Farm on Denman Island, which is known as Sladaish, Pentlach and Comox territory, um, on central Vancouver Island. And Tree Eater Farm has been my home here for the last 12 years or so. Wonderful. And can you tell us your name and can you tell us about your family that you live here with? My name is Magdalene Louise Jolly and my son is Raphael Jolly, 16. He lives here with us most of the time, though he's starting to make some forays out into the world now as a teen. And my partner of 12 years, Peter Janes. Yeah. Wonderful. And when you moved to this land, was the farm like this already, or did you and your family put all of the work into it to make it how it is? When Peter arrived about 16 years ago, it was pretty much just uh, 40 acres of forest with a little cleared section in the middle and a mobile home. So yeah, all of the cabins and barn infrastructure, orchards and gardens, food forests, we have put our heart and soul into developing over the last 16 years. Can you let the listeners know everything? Well, not everything, because we'd be here for weeks because there's so much growing, but can you let them know the main things that you're farming at the moment? So we have as our main kind of commercial enterprise, uh, food forest oriented permaculture nursery, where we propagate and disseminate a really wide variety of Um, edibles, perennials that do well and thrive in this climate. 
So that's kind of our bread and butter business. And then the, the rest of the mainstay of the farm is really centered around homesteading. So growing and processing quite a few different kinds of foods just to sustain us. And we have had different levels of um, uh, different, different periods of time where we have put energy into creating uh, more abundance. So I did run a community supported agriculture market garden for three years here. Where I put all my energy into growing quite a lot of annual, annual vegetables and then pairing them with fresh bread that I'd bake and canning ferments and um, adding in any extra abundance from the orchards, which was super amazing and so much learning. And I, I loved it. And it was also really demanding for me. It took a lot of energy and I ended up having a little, a little bit of a burnout, which led to a period of time where I started to become ill and then got diagnosed with Lyme disease. So yeah, that output of energy towards market gardening didn't feel super sustainable, but I learned a lot and it really felt like a gift to be able to put so much of myself into creating an abundance for the community. And that's still one of the things that really motivates me. And that's kind of manifesting in, in a different way right now. So yeah, we have uh, extensive annual vegetable gardens. We have uh, over a hundred different varieties of uh, food bearing trees here. We have a large flock of chickens and geese. And in the past we've been raising kuni kuni pigs, but we've just um, moved on from that project for now. We've had a milking cow, we've had goats, done lots of different, uh, yeah, lots of different farmy projects over the years. And yeah, then we also have a shop which gets quite a lot of use. Um, I have a side project of making jewelry and that's something that I love to be able to touch into. Um, it's flexible and it fits in really well with my sort of seasonal farming lifestyle. And Peter and Raph both do a variety of different kinds of blacksmithing as well. Sometimes they make tools, knives to sell. So that's kind of one of our little mini, part of our mini farm economy is yeah, making jewelry, making tools in the shop and uh, adding that to our list of offerings. That's so beautiful. Now I've been here for almost a week and it's been so nourishing and so beautiful. So thank you so much for having us. And I've just kind of been in the background witnessing and watching you as you, you all have been filming and I've been watching you farming and homesteading and it's been incredibly inspiring. So thank you for that. And as I've been in awe of you and a term that my mom always uses is you're really a Jane of all trades and it's just so fun to watch. But something that I'm curious about is has farming and homesteading always been a part of your life or is this something that you fell into recently or in adult life or teenage life? How did this lifestyle happen for you? Well, I didn't grow up uh, rurally. I grew up in a housing cooperative in like urban Victoria. So I definitely didn't have any kind of uh, like rural food growing stuff being passed on to me from my parents. But that said, they were, they did have a lot of friends who were organic farmers. 
and we spent a lot of time camping and always grew a small garden. But I think a lot of what, yeah, the sort of beginning seeds of that for me in my life have just been always loving food. And so I can look back to, you know, the nine-year-old Magdalene, I was already like making pretty elaborate five course uh, menus for what I was gonna pack in my lunch the next day for school. So I think that really, when I get to the heart of a lot of what has um, motivated me towards wanting to spend my life growing food and homesteading is just um, a really strong, uh, attractive attraction to food and to sort of a sensory experience of, of being in my body and the way that relates to food and land and medicine. So yeah, I think that's kind of at the heart of it for me. That's what started to motivate me to want to grow more and more food is just having a lot of uh, like almost kind of like, uh, what's the word? Not lust, but <laughs> a huge sense of like, I, you know, wanting that abundance and wanting to bring it into my home. And yeah, so I think that was the, the sort of some of the beginning stages in my life. And that by the time I was 20 or maybe more like 18, I had been working two years at Life Cycles which is a food security organization in Victoria, um, running, uh, helping run a CSA program and supporting, um, doing a bunch of background work to support um, mentoring for new farmers. Um, and then I did an entrepreneurship program in uh, creating a herbal medicine business for growing medicinals. And then I did a two year apprenticeship on a farm and that farm was, wasn't really a commercial farm, it was more of a homestead. So I got pretty inspired and enamored with that lifestyle and just with the richness of having, yeah, all, all of the abundance of gardens and orchards and being able to create beautiful meals out of that and really dig into some of those skills. And I think by the time I was maybe 22, I feel like I kind of was set on my life course too want to pursue this way of being and living. Well, your passion for it is really contagious and inspiring. As anyone who knows me knows that I do not cook. I've tried a few times in my life, but I'm just not good at it. And I don't actually enjoy it, to be honest. So, though, what I will say is that spending time with you and watching all of the love that you put into it, I am going to go home and start playing around in the kitchen. So thank you for that. And I love that you talked about nine-year-old Magdalene. I was on a call with my team this week and I was sharing with them that Tiny Taryn, I call my inner child Tiny Taryn, is so happy on this land because it's just it's so healing and um, yeah so I'm just imagining that nine-year-old Magdalene is just so pleased and excited of this life that you've created. Now you were talking about the project that you were working on to create abundance for your community and how that led to burnout and health issues for yourself Maybe we can pivot and start to talk about that now. I have, I think for all my adult life, definitely struggled off and on with having um, some chronic health problems. And they've kind of come and gone uh, in different degrees of severity. I think by the time I was maybe, 
When I was pregnant with Raphael, so when I was around 23, I really was like coming to terms with having uh, an experience of these sort of, yeah, periods where I had kind of chronic fatigue-like things going on. And, um, and I can see some of the roots of that even going back a few years. Uh, and so I have periods of being quite high energy, like naturally I'm quite a high energy motivated person, but I would have periods of getting quite tired and not having a lot of physical stamina and other symptoms. And so I think, yeah, in that period of, of things around here, um, we were building our house, which was a big endeavor. And I was working hard, farming and running a catering business to try to make enough money to support our life so that Peter could just build and not have to work for money. And I think the combination of that big output and still having a relatively young child really brought on a much bigger flare up of, of what I've come to think of as chronic fatigue. And it may have been um, initiated by getting an actual tick bite because I did have a positive diagnosis for Lyme as well as some other tick-borne illnesses and I had a period of about two years where I was quite ill so I um, put most of my intention and energy in that time into recovering from that and um, yeah uh, in my early 20s, well really starting when I was 16, I did my first year of herbal medicine study and then had done another two year set of, uh, two years of learning with the Wild Seed School on Salt Spring with Jasmine and Kevin. Um, and really, I think one of the many gifts that got like given to me by my mom is just being really engaged with uh, with health and really, um, yeah, really attuned to what's available for healing and just that sense of empowerment that comes with um, wanting to be able to have a connection to to the medicines that we really need to be able to be strong or to heal. So I learned a lot about herbs from her when I was young and so I think I kind of started off my healing journey with that sense of um, wanting to really take ownership and learn all that I could about what was going on and uh, and make choices that were based on like a deep desire for uh, um, yeah, a healing path that was going to have lasting kind of results and also be a place for experimentation and just really sinking into, yeah, the embodiment of, of that process. And so seeing it as a ally and a teacher, definitely big for me. Yeah, and then I, I did a, also a year long holistic nutrition course. Um, but knowing all of that and having that experience of, you know, knowledge and some empowerment still didn't prevent me from burning out and getting sick. And I think I've worked through a lot of, uh, yeah, just like feelings around that, like having this story and I don't have it anymore, I don't think, but from being a younger woman, like, oh, if I'm, you know, a healer and I've done all this learning, then like I shouldn't be sick or there's something sort of awkward about being able to extend that kind of support and care to other people if I haven't totally figured out how to be 100% well and I don't hold that view anymore and actually see how 
experiencing illness and stuff really puts yeah, us as healers in a position where we can really understand from the inside what it's like to struggle and what all of the little important strands are that need to be woven together in order to really experience that sense of um, healing or recovery or the movement towards a place of more wellness. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I really love your perspective of when these things come up in our life, like illnesses, how we can actually look at them as an ally and something that we can learn from. I think so often in our society, we've been conditioned to kind of avoid and to just kind of numb out or dull out if something comes up and really just kind of addressing the symptoms instead of getting to the root cause. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I also love that using plants has been such an important part of your journey. And I'm wondering, I would love to know what other tools or rituals or modalities that you incorporated in your patchwork of healing and, and recovering from chronic fatigue, burnout, and um, illness, Lyme disease. It took me, I think maybe, maybe I was quite sick for about three months before I had any like really tangible, clear answers as to what might be going on. Before that, I just was working under this general chronic fatigue banner, but to me that wasn't really pointed enough. It wasn't really specific. It was more just like um, an umbrella term for when we don't really know what's wrong with somebody. So by the time I actually got the diagnosis that I had really high levels of, of Lyme and other tick-borne illnesses, I was like really ready to fully embrace like a treatment plan. So at that point, I had already done quite a lot of legwork and research, and um, I had a really incredible naturopath and, who's very Lyme aware, and I worked with her to put together a treatment plan, but, and also with a lot of the learning that I'd done, I, I had already been doing a lot of sort of important baseline fundamentals around um, nutrition, diet, and restoring energy. I think at that time, something that really made a huge impact for me right away was doing Qigong every day. And I started off with like a level of fatigue where it was very difficult for me to even like hold my arms up for, you know, that long. And I would have been like, oh. So it really, really helped me to slowly build up my strength and to um, just tap into that vital universal chi. I feel like that was a really big building block for me. And um, yeah, just really kind of experiencing this sort of intensity of, uh, it's hard to articulate it, it's kind of like, uh, absolute refusal. I was in a place of absolute refusal of not wanting to live my life with being held back from what I really wanted to create. And at the same time, yeah, I was really like learning and experimenting with how can I hold the space for these, these two things that feel like they're at odds, but they're actually not, which is really coming to full acceptance right now in the moment. Okay, I'm really quite ill and I'm really... Um, really compromised in what I can do but then there was also this other side of like total refusal to live my life that way 
And so I think that really inspired me and kind of fired me forward to really act with a lot of, uh, with a lot of motivation and decisiveness. Um, so I pretty much dedicated all of my energy besides mothering and like a bit of gardening to getting well. So that was, yeah, doing a lot of uh, pretty intense treatments that were focused on Lyme using Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. And I had a naturopath, I was getting um, irradiated light therapy, ozone therapy, like high vitamin cocktails. Um, I did a lot of Steven Buhner Lyme protocol herbs, which are really brilliant. I learned so much from him. And um, so all of those things kind of woven together, these different treatments, lots of resting. And uh, I think it was a time in my life where I really learned the value of like saying no getting really clear about what's really important and then learning how to feel strong enough to just cast off all the things that either didn't matter or weren't really a priority towards me getting well again. Yeah, and yeah, spending time in nature every day, especially making the space for that when I wasn't really able to exercise or do very much. And then I guess the last thing I'll say about that is that um, there was something really incredible about the vacuum that was sort of created in my life when I got really sick, I was no longer able to market garden and I had been running a pretty busy catering business as well. And so all of that ground to a halt. I had a lot of introspection time, a lot of resting time, a lot of mental energy that wasn't really moving through me. And it started to get, started to have like a lot of anxiety and I had a breakthrough, a pretty significant breakthrough when I started to make jewelry. And it really was interesting because I I'd always like loved aesthetics, but I never really thought about being a jewelry maker. But I literally was in a shop, saw this beautiful jewelry and was like, I could just make that. I'm just going to start making it. And something about that act of just channeling that creative energy and getting um, re-inspired, it like reawakened my sort of like life force. Because all of that had been being channeled to gardening, cooking things that required a lot of physical output of uh, like activity that I could no longer do. And when I, s like within maybe two days of starting to make jewelry, I had all these ideas and I was like on fire. And just the energy of that, like inspiration really was super healing for me. And so I went from feeling a little, like I had my motivation to heal and that was good. And I was also starting to get a little tired of always thinking about being unwell and always learning about health problems and figuring out how to, so this sort of channeling this creative energy again was really healing for me. And I think that that was when things really started to shift and I remember a lot more physical energy again once I started getting into that really juicy creative space and it really quelled the anxiety I'd been having as well because a lot of this thinking energy just got channeled into thinking about designs and creating. Perfect. We have seen a lot of women in our community turning to art and creating different art projects since COVID started. So we've seen a lot of women starting to paint or recommitting to painting. Um, we've seen a lot of knitting, some women who are silversmiths, silversmiths as well. And uh, you have just really beautifully articulated how healing art can be 
and how it's such a beautiful meditative process and how we can channel a lot of healing through art projects. So thank you for sharing that. And I really love how well-rounded your healing modalities are, how you've got your Qigong and you're really focusing on your body, your mind and your spirit, which is so important. And as a herbalist, I would love to hear if you have any favorites or what your go-to herbs are for women, and particularly women who are in recovery from trauma or you know the current situation that we're in with the pandemic, just your, your favorite go-to herbs for women. The herbs that, that I love the most are, are sort of everyday herbs in the sense that both they are available to us to use for many, many different, um, yeah, many different symptoms or states and also herbs that either grow wild around us or that are really easy to cultivate. So herbs that we have, can have an ongoing relationship with. And I think that my most powerful herbal allies are those sort of more run-of-the-mill everyday herbs that are just around and that I get to sort of visit with and harvest from and um, I think of like plantain is a herb that I really love and that I think has um, so many overlooked benefits for everybody for women and I really leaned on plantain extensively as a gut healer and I think of all the herbs that I use I probably use plantain the most but I have a lot of have had and continue to have quite a lot of gut issues but I just love that um, she just grows everywhere and such a simple, accessible medicine. Um, and I use rose a lot. And I think that uh, rose was a real big ally for me and still is when, when, I, when I was quite ill and just really on a subtle but pretty significant level, just helping to elevate mood and open the heart and kind of keep still feeling, I don't know, in touch with like the sort of juicy feminine energy, even when you're like sick and you feel like shit a lot of the time. Um, and the ways that Rose is uh, available to support lots of reproductive health issues as well. And just as a tonifier and uh, astringent and yeah, big kind of heart balancer. Um, and in yeah, in my sort of recovery from Lyme, um, I I did make I did make a lot of medicine, but I also decided that it was great for me to let go of needing to make all my own medicine anymore. And I started to get medicine from other friends, and that ended up being really kind of delightful, actually, to lean on other people a bit in that way and um, do some medicine trades as well. Great. So, gut health is so important and not glamorous, right? I think a lot of people avoid thinking or talking about it because it isn't as glamorous as maybe thinking about something like the brain or something. But what we now know is that the gut is considered one of our brains, right? We have our brain, we have our gut, we have our heart. And what we also know now is that our you know, healthy gut is directly related to a healthy immune system and we know that our, a lot of our neurotransmitters are created in the gut, like our serotonin, for example, which is our happy hormone. So I'm wondering if you can put on your nutritionist hat for a moment and talk to us about the importance of gut health and a happy gut. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just more and more and more aware of and really convinced as time goes by. And it's one of the things you learn when you're studying health and nutrition is that the gut is central. And I just really believe that. Um, I think that so much of the sort of breakdown that starts to happen in people's bodies can be traced back to the gut. And uh, like the importance of bitters and of stomach acid is not to like I feel like that is the number one most important thing period and so for many many people who are experiencing you know medium to severe health problems um, I think a lot of that whether it's like a breakdown in digestion that is really reducing the amount of nutrition that's available for our physical energy, for our mental well-being, or whether it's like a high toxic or pathogenic load, um, that's all really starting off in the gut. And so there are some things that I think everybody would do really well to just incorporate into their lifestyle, whether they're healthy or dealing with um, some health problems. And um, so I think one of the things it has to do with stomach acid and really supporting a healthy, strong stomach acid for our whole lives. And that itself is really um, facilitates uh, the, the immune system's ability to always keep outside pathogens at a very low level. Because as soon as stomach acid starts to deteriorate and the pH of uh, the pH levels of the stomach go to be too alkaline, then all kinds of pathogens, like even say Lyme bacteria, can pass through and um, get uh, find a way in to colonize the body. Um, and there's a lot of really straightforward ways that we can make sure we're nurturing strong stomach acids. So really looking, limiting our intake of carbohydrates and because that there's actually a huge link between reductions of stomach acid and um, eating not even large amounts but just kind of regular amounts of carbohydrates at each meal um, that can even that alone even if you're not eating a lot of sugars but grains and starchy veg can definitely cause a proliferation of small intestinal bacteria overgrowth and other kinds of um, just sort of baseline systemic issues that can then cause tons of tons of issues in the body so yeah um, taking herbal bitters before you eat is a really great way to just optimize your digestion so like 10 to 20 minutes before you eat and I really like Mahonia for that apple cider vinegar works pretty great too and uh, eating fermented foods I just did a pretty sweet sauerkraut making video with Sid showing people how to make uh, lacto-fermented veggies at home um, and also just really looking at the sort of emotional aspect to our gut and um, and the ways that the nervous system um, links up to to that and the ways that emotional stress can manifest as um, tension and inflammation in the digestive tract uh, is not to be overstated at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Lots of great tips there. 
Now, I would love to circle back to the realization that you had that you, you know, maybe you could have continued to make your own medicines, but that what was actually needed was for you to allow yourself to receive and to allow those around you who were wanting to help you to just lean into that support. And can you please share how that was for you? Was that like, was there a lot of resistance? Was it difficult for you? And what advice do you have for anybody who is burning themselves out because they're saying yes to all the things when they should be saying no? Um, or anyone who feels like maybe receiving help is they might feel like it's a sign of weakness, which is just so not true. But I just, I know that there's such a common theme of women um, having difficulty receiving. So I would just love to hear your advice on that. Um, receiving, yeah, it's really, I think I see like a good friend of mine right now is struggling with, um, well, she's on a, a cancer recovery journey and I've had the good fortune to be able to support her a lot. And um, when, yeah, when people have a lot of resistance to receiving, it feels like it's really an invitation to feeling right into that sort of core place in our being and the sort of old or the young kind of child self and really examining, you know, are we feeling worthy of receiving and what does that look like and receiving on on many different levels um but that when there's that resistance or block or the sense of like i can or i should do it all myself that it um yeah it can be kind of a sign of just not really feeling somehow like unconditionally just deserving of be of that nurturing and i think often as mothers especially it can be really hard to let ourselves relax into that receiving position Instead of feeling that we want to have that um, ability to always do for others and, and that kind of control that that creates. And, um, and I also think it's a really, it's the way that I see it is it's a total gift when we can accept from somebody who's acting, you know, genuinely out of a place of love and care for us. It's like, it's a gift for me to be able to nurture you and to take care of you, especially when you're sick. It really it's like it's a flow it's not like it's a burden um at all for me and and i would hope it's like that for for many of us when we're offering our love and our support to others who are sick so to really see it it's a way of strengthening those community bonds and creating mutual aid networks and just relationships of like um just like sort of mutual indebtedness in a way that it can create really beautiful, strong, lifelong relationships to allow that vulnerability and to lean on each other and to trust that it's okay to yeah, let go of being in control and just receive and that there'll be lots of opportunities to be able to give back. Absolutely. And can you share about the importance of community in healing? When somebody is sick or is going through like a great loss or grief. Um, it's, yeah, it's a time when the, the relationships that already exist can be strengthened or it's a time when the community can really kind of rally together. And, and I've seen so many times how um, 
one of the one of the gifts and one of the like beautiful offerings that comes out of illness or tragedy is that it's an opportunity for the community to sort of remake itself again and the times when i've felt i think the most just tapped into my community are those periods of time where someone's just died or someone's you know, dealing with a really intense case of cancer. And it's just a time where all of those things that don't really matter fall away. And we get to just really be in the realness of that. And there's often a lot of love there. So being on a healing journey is definitely not for the faint of heart. And it's, yeah, it's really an invitation to pull those that we love close to us and invite them into that vulnerability. And I also think like in a, bigger sense that um, a lot of illness is being created from our sense of separation from each other and from the natural world and just that sense of being separate from a life-giving culture and just the sort of like alienation of this modern industrial capitalist kind of lifestyle. So I think in a sort of meta sense that healing and community are just totally inseparable and um yeah absolutely you know the uh, it's so key and the opposite of addiction is connection and i know that a part of my journey and, and so many people i know they we really thought that we had to do it on our own or that we could only do it on our own which is just so not true and yeah, just allowing yourself to have the support of community and connection is, is just so healing and so important. And that brings me to my next question of how important are connections to other women for you in your journey? I don't know. It's hard to rationalize it. It's very like, it's very emotional for me, but I definitely, yeah, I have like quite a few women friends that I'm really close to, even just thinking about them. <laughs> like I'm going to cry, but just there's this really deep sense of strength that I find from being in connection with, you know, some of my special women friends where just to feel that like deep sense of like being seen and known and understood in this really intimate way, just like really gives me this deep sense of permission to just really be myself and that it's safe and desirable to be able to be that vulnerable and I think that for me I really can only do that in the company of like certain close women friends and um, yeah there's a certain uh, level of yeah allyship and intimacy that I can find in those connections that is the one of the foundations for me of getting through hard times um, and really just feel like that those relationships are a mirror that just continually feed back to me what's really life-giving and feeds back to me my own strength and beauty in times where I don't I'm not able to really see that so I just think yeah that connection of sisterhood is so powerful and something that I feel really blessed to have and would really love to be able to cultivate that even more in my yeah. life now, another one of my favorite highlights of spending time here is there are lots of kids living on the farm right now, and it's been really, really fun to witness kids 
homesteading, homestyle, homesteading lifestyle. I have not seen one child on a device the entire week that we have been here. I've only seen them playing with the animals and helping with the chores. And while we're recording this, your teenage son is currently making us dinner. And I, it's just really beautiful. And is it just, is it just a coincidence that I haven't seen them on their devices, but they have been? Or do you really feel like this lifestyle, um, it, it is different and raising your children in this way is, is different? And um, just what kind of are your favorite things about it? I don't know. I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, I think as a modern parent, I've certainly struggled like almost all parents do with trying to navigate device use for sure. And I've definitely put a lot of intention in trying to limit it. But ultimately, I mean, a quote from my son, I think kind of sums it up where he says, he said to me not long ago, like, mom, I just, I don't understand how kids have time to play video games. And so for him, I think growing up in a setting where there's lots of adults that he's in relationship to all the time who are all involved in pretty hands-on, meaningful work. So he's really had that modeled. And from a young age, he um, has been really motivated and inspired by stuff. And so, you know, by the time he was I think he was really an avid tool maker, weapon maker. He would get pretty obsessed with whatever projects and he would just be doing them all day. And there wasn't really a lot of space, I think, in his kind of mental sphere for devices. Um, and we've, we've tried to really present a sort of balanced approach. Like, yes, they're useful tools and it can be really fun to watch stuff. And um, I think really my main takeaway is um, cultivating a life as adults where there are so much um, meaningful, beautiful, everyday things to be tending and involved with that is the way that kids learn is just by watching their parents and what kind of, um, yeah, what the sort of, what's being modeled and then hopefully the kids will be able to be held within that container of meaningful right livelihood kind of work and lots of just tasks that need to be done so that just doesn't leave as much time throughout the day to be using devices and music hobbies uh, you know making sure that kids have a, f a feeling of responsibility and meaningful tasks that they can be proud of and that they can get a sense of meaning from and be spending time with other kids who also aren't on their de devices a lot I also want to say how much I love and admire your relationship with Brea, your eight and a half year old niece. I have a four and a half year old niece, Marley, and I love that Brea will just come and, and stay with you for weeks at a time. And I, I really hope that when Marley's old enough that that's the part of our summers as well. So it's been really beautiful to, to watch. Now, I have a question and it's, um, it's regarding gardening. So since COVID, something that's been cool to witness is people have been really interested in growing their own food. So I know a lot of our women in our community have started their first gardens this year and I look forward to starting my own garden one day too. Do you have any tips for those who are brand new starting their first vegetable gardens? Uh, I think finding a mentor is really valuable and that can come in the form of, you know, um, through 
watching different people's educational YouTube channels, but really, even if it's like an older lady in your neighborhood who's got a big, beautiful garden, just like cultivating a relationship with somebody and getting to learn, even just by watching. Um, and ha yeah, having somebody that you can go to for some advice and some um, just kind of how-to inspiration. And also just, I guess, the sort of like practicality of uh, reckoning like it takes a lot of time, can take a lot of time. And um, so just being somewhat realistic about what you want to tackle in your first year or two. And trying to involve your family as much as possible in doing all of that. And... Uh, yeah, finding ways to maybe collaborate with neighbors or family members to make it social and fun and a way to involve, yeah, your, your sort of, ex your family or your um, immediate community. Thank you for that. And I would love to know, how are you cultivating balance now? How are you doing all of the things that you're currently doing while still prioritizing your health and your well-being? Yeah, I don't know if I'm I'm doing it I think I'm doing a, a adequate job of maintaining some balance and I I really try to maintain a sort of running list of like what are my priorities and then what are the things that I'm doing that are important but they're not really they're they're definitely less of a priority than doing my own basic self-care so I will try to make time every day to swim, exercise, and be alone. Those are the things I seem to need just for like my basics. And then also I'm still on a fairly intensive and demanding kind of health regime with my diet and taking different medicines and working with my naturopath. So I do have a list of kind of like hierarchy of priorities. And um, I've chosen that like I need to prioritize my own self-care and well-being over anything else in order to make my life work. So I guess that balance that I strive for does come from trying to stay really clear about what is the most important, making sure that I'm always making t that time to take care of myself and also really listening to my intuition and to my body and checking in about, oh, okay, I'm starting to feel something going on. I can feel that sort of fatigue creeping in. I'm going to just say no to everything for three days and just try to rest as much as I can or just create the space to really listen to my body and see what I'm needing. Perfect. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much again for sitting down with me for this conversation. I'm really, really excited for our women in our community to meet you via the She Recovers story when it launches and this podcast episode. You have so much wisdom and I'm just, I've learned so much and I can't wait for all of our women to get to learn from you as well. So thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. And if you haven't seen it yet, make sure that you also head over to our social channels or our YouTube page or our website to see the She Recovers story, the little mini movie that went with this podcast episode as well. And 
While you're there on the interwebs, make sure that you also check out our website, sherecovers.org, to find out more about our mission and who we are and what we're all about. We are a grassroots movement and we're also a 501c3 charitable status nonprofit. So we are currently, with the pandemic, gathering twice a day, two daily Zoom meetings, which are free to attend and they are facilitated by our amazing She Recovers coaches who volunteer their time to make it happen. Myself or one of my certified She Recovers trauma-informed yoga teachers lead a trauma-informed yoga class on Wednesdays. And Peyton Kennedy, our director of volunteer network and our event and retreat producer, she leads the She Recovers dance on Sundays. So if you want to find out about the schedule, head over there. We also have lots of private Facebook groups and subgroups. So if you're um, if you're a healthcare professional, if you are a mama with high needs children, all sorts of those types of things, um, you can find out those information that information on the website as well. Also, really excited. We're coming into spring here on the west coast of Canada. And my partner Sid and I are starting to plan the next series of interviews. And I'm going to give away any secrets yet, but we have some really exciting interviews coming up and can't wait to share them with you all soon.